Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of What's Up Woody. I'm your host, Woody Woodbeck, and uh, we have a great guest this week, a dear friend of mine and someone who I've had the pleasure and honor of working with. She is a female showrunner. She is a producer extraordinaire. She is a mom and um, has had significant impact on pop culture and reality television. I would love to welcome Miss Mrs. Tracy Baker Simmons. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I love it. <laughs> so glad you're here. I know I've honestly, this has been the most fun um, because I, I have a handful of episodes out now. This is going to come up in the next month with another one that I've already taped. And, you know, it's been fun. It's, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the people I've had on have been friends and I'm calling in favors and stuff, but like mm -hmm. I'm learning a lot of, about the people around me and also about myself having those conversations with people because, you know, it's hard today. Like we're, we're always on the move. Right. And yeah. especially in our business. And um, sometimes it's hard to, as we get older to, um, really develop and hone in on like those even those lifelong relationships they start right. at points they start to unravel a little bit and you're like hold mm -hmm. on hold on hold on I don't want you to go I don't want you to go so they become difficult at times so this has been really 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 fun that's for sure so um let's dive right on in I want to talk to you a little bit about your background um you know I I always say everyone you know the book always starts somewhere Right. And so <laughs> yeah. tell me a little bit about like what it was like for you growing up, where you grew up, what family life was like um, and that kind of stuff. So I grew up in Tennessee, Chattanooga, to be exact. And I was very, very close to my grandmother. She was my best friend, to be honest. And um, I was a star A student, <laughs> um, but, you know, gifted in a gifted program and things like that. But uh, it's funny that you even asked me these questions because I recently just recorded like this documentary called Her Story for myself, for my YouTube channel. And one thing that I discovered in the process of telling my story was that my mom used to take me to the libraries on sat up to the library on Saturdays. And I would spend a lot of time just reading all sorts of novels. And I read the whole volume of J.R. Tolkien, The Hobbits, and all of that. And I and honestly, you realize that your life path sort of leads you to these destinies. Um, and my grandmother was this person who lived in what people would consider the hood, but she was so unique. Like she was friends with the police, the preacher, the crackhead, the drunk, <laughs> and the bad kids and everything else. And they all ate at her kitchen table. And there was no, there was no way. Like my grandmother didn't say, she would say to the, the Mr. Robert, who was the, the uh, neighborhood drunk, get on in here and get you some food on your belly. And then the cops would come, she would be like, y'all hungry? And they'd be like, yeah, what did you cook? Did you make a sweet potato pie? And then she would feed them. And then she would have negotiations with them. Don't don't lock up that little boy. He was just acting up yesterday, but he fine. I talked to him. So I realized like, oh, that's how come I can do my job as a talent whisperer because... I grew up no like being able to see someone who was dealing with all kinds of people, even when it was like not copacetic or whatever people called it, to be gay. My grandmother had a gay nephew that we went and hung out with every week and she loved him and dared anyone to say anything about him. <laughs> so
So it was just like, I realized that my life led me to this place of being able to be a producer and in particular in the reality space and being able to really deal with talent because I see people as humans as opposed to getting stuck in all the other nuances. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, I feel that I was always, even though for, you know, even though a lot of my childhood and growing up as a teenager, I was made fun of a lot because I was really overweight. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I often in times, and my grandmother used to say to me all the time, it's funny that you were really close to your grandmother because my grandmother was like my best friend too, my nanny. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, she always used to say to me, like, where did you come from? Like, because she (laughs) never saw somebody who could take so much negativity because mm-hmm. my parents never married. They didn't really like each other too much growing up. And like, you know, but she never understood kind of how I always saw, even at like seven, eight, like the good side in people. Or I mm. look at that. Um, and in regards to that, do you find, and not, we're talking, we can talk a little bit about cast. Do you find um, that as you've worked in a business and worked with all different types of talent, that sometimes those qualities are harder to find? Or even if somebody just tries you one day and you're like, you know, you want to curse them out. Do you know that maybe the day got the better of them? Or is it harder to find that and give people the benefit of the doubt? I think, in my opinion, it depends on the situation. And I'm sure that you probably agree with that. But, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff, is it hard to look past the bullshit sometimes and realize like, hey, that person is actually a good person, but maybe they're just having a bad day or whatever. Honestly, I feel like I'm such an old soul that I'm always looking at people as kids, you know, and for me, I go, "Mm, why why is she so damn mad or why is she so evil? And I figure out their why, people's why, and it gives me this ability to have compassion for the situation. I was thinking about that earlier today because I was like, okay, so this girl beat up this girl and on a normal show. All of one of these groups of people would hate the producer because they would figure out that the producer made those two have a fight. But in reality, both of those kids still call me aunt, auntie. Right. <laughs> Even you know, we work together on Beauty Bar. Yeah, all those kids still call me auntie. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. spite of all the conflict that happened, they're all still mad cool with me. Talia and I go to church every now and then, and now she's in Miami, and it's just like. So for me, honestly, I, I think I chalk it up. It's like, okay, they're having a bad day or they're in a, they're, they're making a movie in their head that's not even happening. And if I can get them out of their head, we can move forward. So, and I just know that it's not personal because honestly, they don't really personally know me. So there's no reason for them to be upset. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I do wear my heart on my sleeve. So a lot of it, like early on in my career, especially when I was casting, mm-hmm. I had to really check myself a lot of times and consciously do it because mm-hmm. there were times where if I was at a casting call, I did nine seasons of the real world and somebody would say something to me that just pushed me the wrong way, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a, at a round table or something. And I'd be like, okay, it's not about you. You have yeah. a job. And even as I moved into field producing and supervising and co-EP roles, when you kind of have to check yourself and your moral compass in a way at the door to some degree, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you have a job to do just like they have a job to do. Right. Yeah. And you're mm-hmm. not only are you trying to tell a good story, you're also trying to make something entertaining. Right, right, right. 
So it's it, there's definitely a fine line when it comes to that. Do you ever find that it's hard to balance those out? I mean, honestly, like I could be mad, but but also I'm a sucker. So even if I'm mad at you tomorrow, I'm probably not or a week or so I'm going to be okay because I, I find it very difficult to hold grudges. So not even difficult. Like I don't hold grudges. Like you could piss me off and I could be like, I will never mess with them again. I can't believe that. But in reality, it's not true. And people quickly figure that out about me, I think, too. So they realize like, oh, she she's not she's going to get over it. And it's true because my uh, spirit can't hold anger like that. Um, so I have to really consciously make myself realize that someone is bad for me and force myself not to continue to allow them to hurt me. Because I, my tendency is to love and forgive. Yeah, I always say that when I have, um, when I go to job interviews, you know how like sometimes in interviews they'll ask you like, what's the one thing, you know, what do you think is your strong suit and what do you think your, is your weak suit? And I always, when it comes to that weak suit, I always say that I feel like the weakest thing about me is I can be very naive at times. Mm-hmm. You know, like I feel, especially when it comes to cast, you know, mm-hmm. like I want to give somebody the benefit of the doubt or I have empathy for them, even though mm-hmm. the next day they probably want to do anything they do that could throw me under the bus for doing something, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely that fine line of temperament and understanding and, and mm-hmm. um, figuring out who's right and who's wrong. And at times, you know, and I, I want, want to know what you think about this. Do you think that sometimes we put the wrong people on television? No, I mean, I think that, I mean, I'm spiritual, so I do feel like I don't think there's a right. There's not a wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. It's all part of God's plan. So I just feel like we put people on TV and it may not be the purpose of it may have nothing to do with them. Um, It might be because there's someone out there who needs to see themselves in this exact storyline so that they can change or get better or whatever. So there is no wrong people on television. They're all, all those people are a reflection of other people because we're all a reflection of each other in different ways. So I don't, yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like television, the, the most addicting drug in my opinion is fame. Right. And I think that (laughs) can be harmful to people. And there are a lot of people who get bit by that drug or addicted to that drug. And it's not good for them because they can't handle it. That I feel happens to people. Yeah, I I have definitely seen that. And I've had I've had cast members who I've cast on shows Mm -hmm. who you know, gung-ho all about it. And then they go through the experience. Like, let's just use like the real world or bad girls club for an example. And I can't even tell you how many times I've had cast members come up to me after they filmed or whatever, or seen on television. They're like, why did you put me on the show? Like, why did you? And I was like, hold on, wait a minute. I didn't hold the gun to your head. I you didn't find that dotted yeah. line. You wanted to be on the show. That's why mm-hmm. you're on the show. And I always found that really interesting that you know, sometimes people definitely bite off more they, that they can chew. And especially mm-hmm. with the power of social media and 
mm-hmm. all that jazz. It just really makes that experience for them so much more heightened than it probably mm-hmm. did in the in the 90s when real world first started or when reality TV really started to be a, a, a force, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think about it, I'm like, I think back and even now it's so ironic that like growing up, all the shows that I watched were reality centric, like the Osbournes mm-hmm. and the real world and road rules. And uh, mm-hmm. what I love trading um, spaces. Remember that show back in the mm-hmm. day, you make people's houses over. And like, you know, there were just things that I was like, man, there's so much. I love talk shows. I used to mess mm-hmm. with Rosie O'Donnell and, and, mm-hmm. and it's so it's, but I think that that's because at the heart of it, there's all stories being told. And they're about, people, right. you know, mm-hmm. and that's what I find most intriguing about our business. So, yeah, true. yeah. So why did you decide to get into uh, reality television or how did you get into reality television? <laughs> people, that's like the number one question I get all the time. People ask that. So I didn't, it, it's interesting. Entertainment happened to me. I didn't happen to it. I didn't grow up watching TV and swearing to God I was going to be making movies. Um, I grew up in a very religious household. I didn't even, I wasn't even really allowed to listen to secular music except for at my grandmama's house. <laughs> so, and then I went to college and my degrees in marketing and finance. I was going to be, well, I wanted to be a sports agent. So I was either going to be a good sports agent or something corporate, but not in an office. I did figure that out early on in college that that's was not going to be, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be sitting behind nobody's desk or a cubicle. Uh, when I graduated from college, I got a job in pharmaceuticals. I lasted a week. I quit on my own because I said, oh, I can't be responsible for people's life. Like, wait a minute. That's not me. I'm too creative for that. <laughs> so I quit. And then I actually like was living in Atlanta and met some met a guy named Dale Hill who worked in entertainment. And I'm giving you the short version of the story. But I that my so my first job was at Warner Electric Atlantic, WIA, um, in in actually promotions, right? Um, then I got pregnant with my son, probably like a year or so later. Um, his father is a baseball player. So it was like, you can't have that job traveling all over the place, you know? So I quit the job and then I met these, this, these two brothers who were starting a film company and they lived near me and they wanted me to help them. And I had no idea what the heck that was going to be, but they were trying to be doing commercials and stuff. And I went to work to help them really mark from a marketing perspective, I thought. And then a music video director reached out and said, hey, didn't you use the work Warner Brothers? I know you're working with them with their company, but I need a producer. And so I was like, cool, what's that? And he was like, well, you kind of like talk to the people. He kind of ran it off. And I went and bought a book called What a Producer Does. Read the book. And then I said, okay, cool. I'll be your producer. You know? So I produced music videos and commercials for a lot of years. Um, doing really big, you know, Brandy, Monica, Immator, Nas, you know, Pete Roxy, like all these people in hip hop. And doing commercials with Sprite, McDonald's and everything. And then I, you know, my goal through that became that I wanted to definitely someday be doing prescriptive television and movies. 
then I had an opportunity to be a part of an independent film. So I, I helped them raise the money, did the movie. And um, then I was in a business partnership with some people. We, we broke up. I moved back to Atlanta. And honestly, I was raising money for my company, had raised money for my company with my partner, my producing partner, and um, was just watching the news and living in Atlanta. And basically he came up with the idea that I should do a show about Bobby and Whitney because they're always on the news. And I, you know, from a psychological perspective, I was like, damn, they don't, they don't mind the cameras in their face. They kind of like it. So I feel, felt like they wouldn't care. Um, the only thing that was out there at the time mm-hmm. was the Osbournes. And my lawyers were like, if you want to put yourself on the map, yeah, go for it. Good luck though. Because I don't think it can happen. And from the moment of them saying that, which I think they said that to me like February, March, well, March, February of that year, March, I was talking to the brother and by April or May, we were making a show. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what they call me now. And then it was like, oh, you're executive producer. (laughs) And so there I was making a reality TV show with two pop icons and um, just basically made the show, pitched it to different networks and um, made a deal with Bravo that I would continue to be able to own my show. And there I was. And that's how I became an executive producer in television. And that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since. Yeah, for, for the audience, so they know Tracy, um, as she just stated, is is was the brainchild and the creator of Being Bobby Brown, which uh, is a pop culture uh, icon, really, helped mm-hmm. define uh, of what celeb reality was, really, mm-hmm. coming off the heels of the MTV success, definitely from the Osbournes. And, mm-hmm. and I think Danny Bonaduce's show was out then, too, which was even, or maybe it came after, but mm-hmm. it really kind of... Um, gave a lot of steam to a lot of that because Mm -hmm. then I think after your show was like the surreal life and then everyone Mm -hmm. was like oh wait a minute yeah it was like all the success Mm -hmm. with celebrity uh, reality just kind of spun off Mm -hmm. so let's 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 dive into being Bobby Brown Mm. so (laughs) so, now I know you told me a great story uh, a a ways back when I first met you about your first meeting with Whitney but let's talk about the the first time Mm. you met Bobby because that was separate than the first time you met Whitney correct Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so let's talk let's let's go in the heels so talk to me about so you meet his brother right and Mm -hmm. you cultivate a relationship with him and Mm -hmm. then you meet with Bobby Brown so let's 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 dive into that yeah yeah so Bobby was in jail so I meet his brother and his brother is like, my brother's, you know, he's, he doesn't mean any harm. He's a, he's an Aquarius. And I was like, Oh, let him prove it. You know? And he's like, we have show. Like, how does that even work? Well, remember, I have no idea how it works either. So I was like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Like, trust me. So when I, so the first, my first meeting with Bobby was over the phone and he was just like, you want to do what? Yeah. All right. All right. I'm thinking about it. And then he got out of jail, but he had to go back to jail. It was weird. Like they basically, I guess they're called the extradited. I don't know. But basically they let him out of jail in Atlanta and they sent him to jail in Boston. And at that time, I'm kind of panicking because I'm like, 
wait, I thought we were making a deal. I thought he's going to get out of jail. We're going to have this great conversation and, you know, everything. And then his brother said, no, 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 don't worry. He's going to get out of jail in Boston. He's not. It's just child support. We'll be, he'll be out in a day. And when he got out, he, I got on the phone with him and he said, what's up? And he said, if you want to make a show, he was like, what does that mean? And I was like, we'll follow you. What you do will show you. And he said, all right, well, send the cameras right now. <coughs> and I was like, right now, like when? And he's like, today, right now. And so I said, do you have a lawyer? Because you need to sign something. <laughs> and he said, yes. And so I called my lawyer and said, he said, yes, he wants to do the show. We need to sign, let him sign a talent agreement. They send the talent. It was a fax machine because it's 2004. It's no attachment to an email. It's fax. So we faxed it. He faxes it back. My producing partner, who never produced any television ever, I put her on a plane with a camera guy, two camera guys and a sound person. And she's like, what are we doing? I was like, just whatever he does, film it. That's basically what's going to happen at this point. Because... I had actually saw something about the real world and I found, and I, I saw that they sent a camera and a sound to the people before they put them on the show. So I said, I'm going to follow that formula. So let's go out there and see what he does. And they, my partner was out there with him for like three or four days, maybe, it felt like a week, but I think it was just three or four days. And then he was coming back to Atlanta. And this was going to be him finally seeing Whitney. And by then, during that time, I was starting, I really started to develop what the show would be. And so when he got off the plane, I brought him to the Hyatt, which was one of their favorite staycation places. Got the penthouse, rented the penthouse. And I said, let's meet here first before you talk to your wife about us. And I met him there and I said, hey, I, I, have, an, I have a name for the show. He's like, okay, what you got? And I said, being Bobby Brown. And then he was like, okay. And then he was like, so basically you my producer. And I said, yeah, of course, I'm your producer. And so he liked the name because his company was called Triple B. So he liked the fact oh, okay. that his name had three Bs to it. And I had watched being John Malkovich. So I had come, you know, was like, oh, this is the deal. I'm going to show the different pieces of you. And then my partner was like, yeah, we'll see why. And I was like, yeah, most importantly, we'll see why people like him. Why does your wife like you? Why do your kids like you? Why your brother like you? Your mama? Like, I was like, it's a whole group of people who love Bobby Brown. The media can paint him out to be a damn crazy. But in real life, there's some real people out here who really love him. And so he was like, cool. And then I said, so honestly, if your wife wants to participate, we could put her in a little because there's a lot of pieces to you outside of being her husband. And he said, cool. He was like, yeah, that works. That's cool. And everything. And he was like, what are we going to do? And I said, I'm going to, you know, follow you around. And he said, okay. And so he called her and he was like, I'm here with my producers. And she was like, producers, what are you talking about? And he said, I signed up. I'm going to be on a reality show. And she said, you do not know what you're doing. And he said, well, I signed up 
my producers are here. Do you want to just come down here to this hotel and check them out and everything? And she got in her Porsche and zoomed down and because uh, they live north of the city. And she, um, you know, and then that's the part of the story where she gets off the elevator and she goes, hi, I'm Whitney. And I'm like, you're Whitney Houston, lady. Um, and then she said, so y'all are his producers? And we were like, yes. And then she said, well, what are y'all doing with those cameras? Bring them on. I'm going in here to talk to my husband. And then the cameras followed her. And, you know, the rest was history. We were making a show with Whitney and Bobby. How, what, what, that story is so wild to me. Like, I mean, cause so unconventional and you were just mm -hmm. fine by literally the seat of your pants, like just figuring it out as it went. And that is so not how things work today. <laughs> not so, at all, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, because that it kind of takes away, unfortunately, from the storytelling. That's for sure. Um, wow, that is that's wild. So from there, um, you get Whitney signed, right? So then, I mean, you guys are full full into this, and you start filming. Now, in the midst of this, how did Bravo get involved? Did you already film a season and then they bought it after? So you came out of pocket for that first season. Mm -hmm. we, they didn't buy anything. They licensed, let's be clear. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so basically we had filmed it because we had an investor for our company. So we just bet, we just bet the house on it. Um, and so Bravo came after because, I mean, and honestly, we, we met a lot of networks. Not kidding. CBS, NBC. ABC. ABC was very, very interesting early on, but then we had to go back to them and say, Whitney Houston curses a lot. I don't know if they work on y'all Disney Channel. So they were like, oh, okay. Because this was still when network television was not cable TV. And they, right, you right. know, so we, um, and we, and even like we met VH1, but everyone wanted, you know, they, to, to them, it was like, you're not a producer. And I'm like, yes, I am. I raised money. I got the talent. I'm making a show. I am an executive producer, whether you like it or not. And so the biggest thing was that, and then VH1, which they were the, the network, you know, MTV VH1 family that were really doing reality yeah, right. at that time. Right. So they said, give us, we will do a deal with you. Give us the footage and we'll edit it. And I said, no. That's not the deal I want to make either. And Bravo, they really were like, what, what you want? And I was like, I want to continue to finish my show. And, you know, had talked to Lauren, you know, Zalznik, who was just like, give her what she wants. Let's, let's put a show on the air, you know? And Bravo didn't have anything. They had Actors Studio, which is an amazing show, but it wasn't that space. You and know? It was so in the timeline perspective, it was uh, Bean Bob Brown came out right after Runway and Queer Eye or mm -hmm. before Runway and Queer Eye? Mm -hmm. it was before. Before. I think Queer Eye was in the making, but it wasn't on. Okay. And that was different. That wasn't sure. Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston. And there was, and Runway was not even, Runway came, I think, a couple of two or three years later. Well, they didn't even, I don't on, even know. I feel like. I feel like Runway might have come out before because Runway was on when I was still living in New York, but you came out with being Bobby Brown in what year? 2005 year. Yeah, so you got you came out a little bit after because at least season one was out when I, I had just graduated college, like 2002. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember it in that yeah. way, but you know, maybe so. But at the end of the day, when they was making that deal, because we made that deal in 2004. So sure. even if they had runway, they didn't have a, they didn't, you know, people. Well, they were, it wasn't the show that it is now. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So basically they made the deal because they, you know, they wanted the, they wanted the hit. They wanted the, they wanted to show that everybody would show up to the network for also. And that was a bit different. You know what I'm saying? Like if you think about runway and things like that, everybody wasn't going to show up for that. Correct. It was, um, a, it was a niche market. Yeah. So they basically, yeah. So they did the deal that we wanted to do, which was we get to own the show. You're, you're licensing it and we get to edit it. You get to give notes, but it's our show, you know, and they were respectful to that. And we made the show and it was, you know, and it worked for them. Unfortunately, though, that Bobby and Winnie didn't come back for a second. Like we did 12 episodes. Like we did like a big, we did like eight episodes. Then we did a couple more because they were like, can we get some more? And then we did a Christmas special, a clip show and things like that. But we didn't have multiple seasons because they kind of were like, because they did it for fun, almost like then it would have turned into a job and I don't think they wanted a job. <laughs> they just want to have fun. Yeah. And they definitely, and at that point they probably <laughs> definitely need a job. That's for sure. Yeah. They, well, they didn't really need a job. They didn't, to be honest, we didn't pay them a lot of money and they didn't care. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting looking back because so many moments on that show, like you could, you look at clips and you think about like Whitney shopping and singing to herself, it's like, <laughs> you know, just above you know, like saying yeah. his name across, around the house and things that like are now pop culture references mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. just know the yeah. moment you say it, you know, and like things that people say just out of random, you know, like in the, I could be mm-hmm. in the middle of the store and if I'm with my friend who knows just as much with the show as I do, and I could be out and buy the melons, he bought the tomatoes and I'm like, Bobby, hey, you know, like <laughs> know what I'm talking about, you know, like yeah. it's so funny. Um, what was it like? Uh, and I'm sure, you know, obviously very sadly, Whitney Houston is no longer with us. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot to unpeel there and you talk about it in whatever capacity you are comfortable with obviously Mm -hmm. filming the show there's a lot of stuff and the audience whether you guys know it or not you know when we do these shows we film hours and hours and hours of stuff like that gets Mm -hmm. cut down to minutes you know when a show when an hour-long show goes to air it's 42 minutes 30 seconds usually and if not maybe a little more than that Mm -hmm. um or a little less and Mm -hmm. you know we we film Mm -hmm. a season and usually like if it's 10 episodes maybe 10 weeks like an episode Mm -hmm. a week right Mm -hmm. or we try to anyways and Mm -hmm. so when you think about how many hours of footage that is it comes down to 42 minutes so there's probably i'm sure a ton of stuff that didn't make air um Mm -hmm. what are some things that you can share that maybe we didn't see on the show or we didn't Mm -hmm. know um, about Bobby and Whitney and their relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Bobby Christina was, was really young at that time too, correct? She was nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she was, she was little as well. So talk Five. to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, well, one thing is we can, this is like people, it's a misconception. People, a lot of times people were like, oh, they were high the whole time. And it's like, no, they weren't. Like he was just out of jail. And she was just out of rehab. And actually there was a sober coach sitting next to her 
50, 60, 70%, I mean, uh, most of the time traveling with her and everything else. We just didn't put them on the show because that wasn't the story we were telling, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't everybody's business that she was traveling with her sober coach who was helping her at that time. Um, so that's one thing that people never know and they think because they assumed. And I was like, no, they're entertainers. They were interesting and funny so yes they probably you, you're assuming that means high that doesn't mean high that doesn't mean silly you know um so I feel like that was one thing that people didn't know and I think like they had a lot people missed the part that they didn't choose to be fake like they became famous as kids and then they feel like okay then we had a kid that had to be the two famous parents who were just silly and had issues that they were dealing with. And now this child, so that hurt them a lot. Like just like, just thinking about, especially Whitney, like she had a lot of concern for Bobby Christina. Um, Bobby loved his kids, but he didn't have the same level of concern per se. Um, and I also feel like Whitney Houston in spite of whatever her flaws or demons were, really, really knew God and knew God loved her and knew there was nothing she could do that would change that. She lived with a piece of that for sure. And I feel like Bobby was not that on that level of spirituality for himself. And probably from a funny perspective, they they spoke to each other. Music was their language. So when they talked to each other, especially Whitney, it was always some kind of harmony or something, which also made the show a bit difficult and which is why you don't see the show everywhere and why it's not a syndication because it's an expensive show. They're singing Stevie Wonder, Black Eyed Peas, like, sometimes she would say something and it wasn't until we got to the edit and we did the QT test where they were like, you know, she, that melody is a song by Donny Hathaway. And I'm like, well, shit, <laughs> like right. this is the biggest music budget ever. And, they, and we don't have one performance in here. <laughs> right, right, right. Hysterical. So, yeah. So basically, but then, you know, I learned early on, I was like, oh, that's their language. That's what they have in common. And they both know the song that they're singing, even if they're saying, pass me the butter. That's a song and they make it a song and they're singing these people's stuff. And we're stuck with this because they can't help it. Melodies are just going through their brain all day long. And it was beautiful, but it's expensive. <laughs> I, I'm sure I, I know even before they changed happy birthday how many birthday parties we shot and everyone wanted to sing happy birthday I was like exactly. okay great wait until the cameras go down and then y'all can sing happy birthday all y'all want uh exactly. but we can't do it on camera it, <laughs> right you know I yeah because I remember like happy, what was happy birthday like a hundred thousand fifty thousand or something yes, just to sing, like just to sing that little 30 seconds like wild mm -hmm. wild 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 um what was what do you think were the most endearing things about each of them mm, so the most endearing thing about Bobby is that honestly he really just like he actually is very giving and he hates money 
he feels like money is the root of all his problems. So as soon as he gets it, he wants to get rid of it. Like to the point he give his money away that I had a joke. I said, give me some money. And my partner was like, you can't take money from him. I was like, why? He giving it to everybody else in the world. I can take a little bit too. He just want to get rid of it. I'm like, go ahead, give it to me, Bobby. (laughs) Cause he just wants to get rid of it. He has this thing. He had this relationship with it that he felt that it wasn't good, but he had an energy that attracts it to him. And, but then the same energy, like literally he could be riding down the street and see somebody on the side of the street. And if he got four, $500 in his pocket, he just be like, come here and give it to them. So he's very, he's generous. He's really generous. Um, Whitney is there. Whitney is a very, Whitney loves kids. She loves children. They could never get on her nerves. And she is your home girl. An instant, like she became an instant home girl. Like she, I remember when she met my husband, we weren't married at the time. And she said, Oh, girl, he fine. <laughs> if some bitch try to take your man, honey, I'll go with you to beat her ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Whitney Houston as my road dog? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with Nothing that. Nothing wrong with that. Me and Whitney going to come beat your ass. Yeah. Hello. So she is like, to be honest, she just wanted people who would love her at her normal state. And because we were cool with that, it really gave us a connection to her. Because we didn't look at her and be like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you putting on your lipstick or sitting up straight or doing this? We were just like, yeah, that's cool. And so it made her really want us around. Come to my house. What time are you guys getting to Miami? What time are you guys doing this? And then she was so like, we went to London and she was staying at a different hotel. They were at the Dorchester. We couldn't afford to put the crew there. And I remember waking up, looking for my son like call my cousin who had traveled with us and was like where's Jacob she he she was she she was like girl Whitney came over here at about seven o'clock this morning and asked for all the kids and I was like what and we were like what where did she go and she literally took the kids fed them breakfast took them swimming because she was like because I knew y'all was tired and y'all was gonna sleep in and these kids can't just be stuck in no hotel rooms waiting on y'all to wake up because we don't travel and she literally, my son, Wanda's daughter, Bobby Christina, her little cousin, and, and everything, and then had arranged for them to go see the Lion King and this. And we were like, what are you doing? She was like, I got to say about these kids, because y'all see, y'all get too busy, too caught up trying to make this little TV thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Wow. That, that's, that's a pretty incredible story. That's great. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there one thing during when you were filming that when you look back um kind of breaks your heart a little bit or something that really sticks out unfortunately that we don't have you know Whitney and Bobby Christina with us anymore or or maybe maybe a memory that um is extremely meaningful to you knowing that you were able to be in their lives in a very unique way mm-hmm. um I would say hmm I mean, there's lots of moments where she, like, you know, look, we were filming with Whitney after her dad died. And that was, a that was, that, she, like, even, I don't know, I can't even remember if she went to the funeral. 
But I just remember that she was in a lot of pain because she really loved her dad. And I think people didn't like give her that space for that. And I just remember us being in the Bahamas and her just talking to Bobby about that. You know, it's like a very intimate moment of her just sharing that. And I do feel like she, like her and Bobby Christina were just so close in like a, like a, like people are close to their kids, but like that was her heart. Like the one thing she wanted was that child. And she and 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 she wasn't per- a perfect mom, of course, but she loved her. She wanted that baby, you know. Um, and they they were besties, you know. But um, and I think that I I saw that her and Bobby were two people trying to figure it out, and because no one really understood it or could appreciate them loving each other because they understood each other they didn't get a real chance yeah i I think ultimately from somebody from the outside looking in you know um uh, everyone kind of had that attitude like why the fuck is whitney with him like why they had an opinion Mm -hmm. yeah like everyone had a thought like Mm -hmm. you're he's ruined her and it's his fault and Mm -hmm. you know i'm I'm speaking i don't i my opinion was like they have a relationship that we just don't understand mm-hmm. that's how i always felt yeah. and i feel but i think the masses at times really especially as she became more and more open about her use of drugs and um mm-hmm. abuse and all that kind of stuff i think that it became this like how much how much of a hand did he have in corrupting her I guess and I'm using air mm-hmm. when I say that um and I think that America because Whitney was our heart anybody mm-hmm. who was a fan of Whitney we looked at her like she was mm-hmm. an angel you know like mm-hmm. and and to see her struggle and to mm-hmm. not understand it because she didn't always necessarily let us in and mm-hmm. then when she let us in it left us with more questions like she mm-hmm. would do these interviews and like you know, crack is whack, crack isn't cheap, or like, you know, like the things, and then the Oprah interview where she talks about, you know, where we all were like, wait a minute, this is all too much, because not our Whitney, this is not our Whitney, you know, like, that can't be, I think it it took on a life of its own, you know, that public Mm -hmm. perception of what it is or isn't, so um, kudos to you for allowing them to be themselves and feel Mm -hmm. free in the format that at times is, is a lot. And it's not for everyone. It really Mm -hmm. is. Um, Yeah. I mean, everyone doesn't want to be open about their truths. And to be honest, Bobby and Whitney, they they were from two different cities, but the cities were the same. The the landscape of those two cities were the same. Yeah. She was from Newark, New Jersey. He was from Roxburgh. Like, basically, those two cities had the same drug issues and everything else. So it was two Black kids from an inner city outside of a big city that basically understood who became famous at a young age. Bobby was 14, Whitney was 15, 16. And they, and that's how they connected. And then they both ended up with the same vice, but they understood each other. It's that, it's that language. It's like when you go to a party and it's 
three black people and people go, why the black people over there together? Because they damn understand each other. Right, right. <laughs> right. And they want to talk to each other and not have to fix what they're saying. It's the shorthand. So I really feel like that was it. And look, it's not someone else's job to make you better. You get married and hopefully you're whole. And if you're not, then it's too broken or a broken person with a whole person or whatever, but it's not the husband's job or the wife's job to fix the other person. And they, and they just, you know, Bobby had a persona being a bad boy, which I feel it's funny. One time I was talking to Bobby and I said, it was after the show and we were somewhere and I was saying, I was telling him something like, somebody wanted to meet him and we we're going to have a meeting about something. And he said, oh, you want me to act like Bobby Brown? And I was like, yeah. And he said, okay, cool. I know how to act like Bobby Brown. Because Bobby Brown wasn't even really who he was. <laughs> like, the other guy, he, the other guy's going to carry my bag. The other guy's running around giving away money. It's just that he got, he became famous for being this bad boy. Yeah. So the bad boy became the character. And then when we were shooting the show, one day they had a date. Bobby said he's going to take Whitney on a date. So that was going to be a, a, scene, a scene in the show. And they got dressed. And Whitney put on this beautiful dress. And we had a makeup artist and everything. And then we were on the elevator. And I said, oh, I was like, now you look like Whitney Houston. <laughs> and she said, no, I don't. I look like Rachel Mir. <laughs> and I said when she said because that's who y'all think Whitney Houston is and I said oh you're right and she was like and I said okay well enjoy your dinner I won't ever say that again <laughs> that's funny that's funny I'm sure that she was probably sassy as hell at times oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she was totally sassy but fun it was fun like we even when i went to her house in jersey and we went she was like okay come on we got something to show you took me downstairs me and wanda and we saw all these gowns and all these trophies from american music awards and this that and i said girl do you know you went to houston and she started laughing and she said imagine that <laughs> That bitch live here. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. And I'm like, I think so. She was like, Tracy, you know, met with me. And I was like, I know. I was like, we better get out of here before she come find us. <laughs> <laughs> and be like what am i doing <laughs> right well kudos to you and congrats on that success of that show and all the ones that you have done from there i mean you know trusting your gut is one of the biggest things in this industry and and mm -hmm. um uh you know being able to to know that you had something special and to just kind of ride it out and and mm -hmm. believe in that uh, is is something that's hard to do and it's not always yeah. easy and you know even as i've been i've I, I always say this. I went through that initial phase of like during COVID, I was like, all right, I'll eat three meals a day and cook all the time mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. sit around and watch Netflix. And then like three or four months in, I was like, I'm starting to feel a little extra around the midsection. And you know, <laughs> you're like having that moment. I was like, all right, I got to be creative and started developing ideas and, and really mm -hmm. taking on that. Okay, I have this skill set of 16 years now for myself mm -hmm. in business. Like, where, what can I do, and how can I, how can I be mm -hmm. like someone like someone like you, and and 
understand when something's special and see a bigger picture and, mm-hmm. and find somebody on TikTok and reach out to them and be like, here's the yeah. show. This is the idea. I can do yeah. this. I can pitch it. And at that point, you know, we get to the point in our career where hopefully you have enough still, you haven't burnt too many bridges or people still kind of like you and whether they're not scared of you and just want to talk shit about you. Um, right. You know, like where you can have those relationships where I can go to my person at Discovery and be like, hey, can I pitch this to you? Or go to a production company and be like, hey, we should partner on this. You know, yeah. and that's where that certain point is. So, you know, for you, as you progress from there, because you developed and created other shows and, and you mm-hmm. do that now, you know, as a showrunner, co-executive producer and all kinds of things, what do you look for, one, in a project that you want to be a part of? Mm-hmm. And two, what do you look for when it comes to talent? Mm-hmm. And to be honest, in a project that I want to be a part of, it's like, I really like telling our stories. And when I say our, I mean the minority perspective. Like, I remember when I started my company, and one, one statement that I had before was like underserved markets, you know, and I'm learning more and more that it is, it's not just Black people, but it's LGBTQT, it's, you know, uh, Latino, I'm making a movie now that's called The Sugar Plum Twist for Hallmark. And it's the la- it's basically going to be the Latin version of the Nutcracker. That's what the story is. So I'm all about like those voices that have not had a space in mainstream media. Um, in, in whether it's cable or network or streamers or what have you. So for me, it, that's the first thing is like, how am I serving an underserved market? How am I, and then the second thing is how am I telling their story that serve, that gives justice, like an explanation. If there's conflict, is there resolution? Um, if a person, like, can I also make people understand individuals why? And um, so I'm all about that. Most importantly, I'm, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be in my career to be, to be able to be selective enough to say it needs to have, it needs to mean something to me so that later it means something to everyone. Um, you know, I did, I, I was a showrunner for Sprite Step Off. Will Packer and Rob Hardy created a show after they made Stomp the Yard and they asked me to do it because they had, they didn't know how to do reality TV. They ain't really know it and I didn't know about no competition show, but shoot, they gave me the, they asked me to do it. I knew them. I took it on. And guess what? That show is uh, represented and um, at the Smithsonian African Museum, you know, like because it was a part of our culture. It showed step culture. It was six different teens from six different walks of life that competed. And also like that was the first time Drake as a rapper performed oh, okay. nationally. <laughs> so I I realized that that was that's that that's a part of my destiny. It is to break open, like to to sort of break open bears and tell stories in our culture that will resonate and and continue to be a part of the conversation. So for me, that's a big part of what I'm looking for in a project that I'm really because look, let's just be honest, and you know this, you develop a project. It might get not get picked up for years, honey. So that's time and energy. 
So if you're going to put your time and your energy into something, it needs to be something you really believe in, you love, you're committed to, and you want to see happen. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I mean, especially in, you know, um, I've been doing, dealing and understanding and learning a lot about that because I want to uh, sell projects and I have a deal yeah. that I'm working on. And um, I have another great one that I've told you about. And you're like, that's a great idea. Like, yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, a lot of people are always, you know, they come up and they're like, I got a great idea for a show. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's bigger perspective than just one person or one thing. We can take that nucleus, right? Mm-hmm. Common thread and build a show around it. But yeah. for the most part, you also want it to be organic. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I do, I keep saying, I'm like, I really want to do like Housewives of Seattle. Seattle mm-hmm. has tech money, um, old money, you know, the mm-hmm. blendings of worlds. That's where a lot of these big corporations, especially tech companies. You better be careful with it. I'm giving you I know, idea. right? Yeah, exactly. But I'm saying, you know, like there are shows where it's like, where you think about it and, you know, so many times people like will DM me and be like, you know, you should do a show about my hometown and the people here. And I'm like, all right, well, come to me with characters because we know that really what sells, like formats to me are, and you can tell me if I'm crazy. I don't feel, I feel like every format has already been done. Mm-hmm. Like, And they are also the hardest to sell. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really about finding a unique ensemble cast, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. celebrity. It's still yeah. a big thing. And, and, and or it's now with Sanabi. Correct. Yeah. And I think that that's for people who always, for the listener that is always wondering, like, what works, what doesn't. It's mm-hmm. not just like, oh, I have an interesting group of friends. You have to mm-hmm. understand, like, we're talking about a network putting in millions of dollars into said group of friends. Are, pe- are millions of people going to tune in every week to see you and your friends on camera? What's unique and interesting about it? It's like, you know, I have friends who worked on Family Karma and um, on Bravo. And I like it's total opposite culture of anything that I knew growing up. And even till today, I don't know much about the Anglican culture, but I find the show so compelling because you want to root for this person or and this is how you know it's well produced. You want to mm-hmm. root for this cast member because for this reason, or you don't like this yeah. cast member because they did this shady thing to their fiance and that's screwed up. And then the moms get involved. And like, there's such a dynamic and something interesting that like, for me, even I always say, and I'm sure, you know, like what makes me a great producer is I also love this stuff. Like I yeah. watch so much of it. And I also think that that makes me a better producer. I always find it so interesting when you get a DP who's like, Oh, I never, I never watch anything. And I'm like, I hate anybody who says that they don't watch TV. I mean, like, if you're, like, do you want to be um, in TV, but you don't watch it? You know, I had an interview the other day or, you know, a meeting with a company and and they, and the people were like, well, we don't, we didn't watch, it was a new show and they, they were, they didn't want to be compared to another similar show. And then they said, and we never watched the show. And then I most producers would have said, oh, me neither. They would have just left it. But I was like, well, I did. Yeah, I watched it. And let me tell you what it happens on there. Because you're saying you don't want to be there. But guess what? You are there. So here's what it is so that you can understand the format. And they were like, oh, we didn't know that. And I was just like, 
how can you be making TV and not watching TV? That's like, I make cars, but I never drive it. Well, then how do you know it is working, what what you're doing? Right. Yeah, I always say watching what other people are doing and being fresh, especially like if I'm working on a Bravo show, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes scenes and things and activities become redundant. Right. Yeah. And you're like, okay, if you, if your producing team comes up with a good idea, but then I'm like, oh, I just saw that on another show the other night. Why don't we do something similar, but not make it like the exact same thing? Because how many times these shows, all of a sudden it's like a dungeon party and everyone's in SM. And then all of a sudden you have three shows on air on the same network and they're all doing the same kind of thing. And it's like, exactly, it feels stale and it feels redundant. And, you know, you want to stay fresh and up, up to speed on like what's happening because ultimately we know a lot of that stuff is just a backdrop to telling the story, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you look for in talent? honestly interesting and not afraid of the camera and and honesty like I'm looking for like I'm looking for people who motivated to be to tell their story you know because if you're like I want to but I don't or this is the like if you have too many rules and regulations then it's just not gonna work because it really is about being open and honest it's about like unapologetic I it's so funny my husband he comes from a really big family and they look they grew up poor they but they and they're beautiful people and they are so when I met them the word my son we used to say they embarrass poof (laughs) they do what shit you could do to make them embarrassed and you know what I was like if you want to be on a reality show you need to be embarrassed proof that's it. Let's go. Yeah. 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 And I, I always, love them. I, it makes me laugh whenever a cast member, you know, like they run to a bathroom and shut the door. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, like, I ain't gonna, like, you ain't mic'd. And, and like, I'm not going to shoot the bathroom door and just overlay the audio. <laughs> like, you can't be embarrassed. You're on a TV show. You know, the cameras are going to follow you. It's exactly. not going to escape by running to the bathroom and shutting the door. <laughs> I'm like, uh-uh, I'm embarrassed for they're, they're <laughs> right. crazy yeah um you know uh something i wanted to talk to you about and uh, i found out was <coughs> when i was at your house because tracy and i are actually neighbors we live we both live in the same area which is so funny yeah. because when i got this apartment i had no idea that you lived right down the road <laughs> right down the street right down the street and um you know something i found out recently was that your son uh you mm-hmm. could tell me his age and his name again because i forgot jacob yes and, and how old 20, is he 28 28. So he recently started working in the business as well. Yeah, he's been in it for a little bit, but yeah, yeah. he's an AP now. Awesome. Great. And so yeah. what was your thought when, were you, did you give him his first job or did he get it elsewhere? And like, what was your thought on him getting into this business? Well, I mean, my look, I had my kid and then I became a producer. Remember those two things sort of happened around this, like not even maybe a, a year or two after he was born. So he grew up on set. He was on set with because he traveled with me because I lived in Atlanta. And at that time, they weren't making movies or anything in Atlanta. So we were shooting commercials and um, music videos in L.A. or New York or Chicago. So he has always been around film and television. Um, When I did the independent film, we lived in a hotel for three months in L.A. So that's been his life like he's either been at a baseball at a stadium or on a film set 
that's how he grew up and he wasn't an athlete. So we all, you know, at one point I thought he was going to be an actor. And then the people told me at the acting school, the acting coach said, well, he, he keep giving us information. Like he's a director. <laughs> <'Cause> he <was laughs> saying, people need to stand over there and the light not good in here. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay. He's not going to be an actor. <laughs> that's hysterical. Um, and then he went, to, he went to Full Sail and he, his uh, degree is in uh, entertainment business. So I kind of felt like, yeah, he's either going to be a director or a producer. And he's been leaning towards being a producer. And he worked on my movie, the biopic I did on Bobby Christina. As a, and, and honestly, I didn't even act, like he was willing to, to be a PA, but he knew he grew up with Bobby Christina. Like they went to school together. They went to the same little camps together and everything. So he came into that project really being able to help the actors understand the world. Right. To the point that the network came to me after we filmed the movie and said, your son deserves an associate producer credit and we're going to give it to him. And I said, oh, okay, sure. (laughs) You know, and so, and then he worked on Love and Hip Hop and basically, again, he's just really like, he's shown himself, but my son has really good work ethic. Like, in spite of being a kid whose parents have means, yeah. he's always had good work ethic. And he worked on that show and they were like, oh, he's so good. He does this, this, and he didn't work on that show with me. And then recently he worked on a show with me and he did segment AP because he is creative at the same time. Um so honestly, it's the natural thing. I mean, he's young, so he also is into skincare and wants to be an influencer in that mm-hmm. re- that area because he really cares about it and he loves talking about it. And he's the reason why my skin looks so good because he knows everything about it. And he's forced me to spend a lot of money on a lot of different things to wash my face with. Wow. Uh, so that's- You better help me up with a regimen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, honey he be fixing people's face I'm like boy that's a gift <laughs> I'm like I th- there's gotta be a way you could make some money doing that um so yeah but he but he does he loves you know what he which he may have gotten from he loves people a little bit more than I do he really does and he's very he likes to ch- he likes the difficult like if somebody's really difficult and I'm like okay they need to sit down they're being too loud. They're this, they're that. He's like, no, mom, let me help you understand them. So I think that he's got to be a better talent whisperer than me. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I feel like we, especially in our business, we tend to learn a lot from each other. But we also, there's also, it's being able to recognize those moments of like, you know, somebody drops a little nugget that's so unexpected. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, Okay, that, yeah. I get that I get that and not something you would have thought or think, and especially about people in the business and especially about talent. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, so what do you what would you say your top three tips are for selling the show? Mm, know the network or the networks, like know your customer. So whoever, you know, when you make a show, I, look, I worked in development for, for a long time for a company as a, as a job. After I sold my shows and everything, I just decided to indulge myself into development because I, I was like, okay, when you have a company, you don't get to pick and choose. You have to be the developer, producer, you have to be all these things. So I got to take a break and just focus on one 
end of the business. And the first thing that we always did was like, if we thought of a show or we wanted to put time and effort into a show, we said, are there at least three networks that would buy this show? And what are those three networks? Like you need at least more than, you need more than one shot. You only need one yes, but you want to be hedging it. Um, so I think that that's important to basically identify more than one place that you can sell your project. And then the second part is know what that company is. Look at what they have on their air. What are they doing that your show is a compliment to or fits a hole that they probably need filled and be a good listener. Uh, a network executive told me that the biggest mistake that producers make is they walk in the room and they say, you need, it sounds great to tell people what the hell they need, but in reality, they don't want to hear you telling them what they need because they spend a lot of money on research and development and focus groups. What they really want you to do is listen, ask them what they're looking for or where is the brand heading, and then from there, adjust your pitch to show them how your project is filling that void. Hmm. I'm taking notes just so everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I have direct contact. <laughs> I don't blame you, Woody. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely gotten pretty good and I've, I know I've come to your advice for a couple of times. You know, I've been mm -hmm. lucky enough now, just in this past year, I've pitched to four different networks just on my own kind yeah. of like have this great idea here's my deck what do you mm -hmm. think you know mm -hmm. and I've learned a lot you know I've been turned mm -hmm. down a couple of times but hey listen it's all about getting your foot in the door you know mm -hmm. and if I if I prove and I'm even able to do that and I impress them in some way you know mm -hmm. that is that's that means that door will stay open you know right. every mm -hmm. network that I pitched to has been like great I, this is great maybe it doesn't work for us right now or I get advice this is how it could work for us maybe yeah. shift the idea Mm -hmm. you know and the most important they invite you back and yeah. that's what you want to correct yeah. constructive criticism is always very important and yeah. being able to receive that doesn't mm -hmm. mean your idea is bad mm -hmm. it's just like hey this is how this could work with us if you added this element to it what mm -hmm. do you think about that and i'm mm -hmm. always open for that kind of stuff. because you're not just selling your project you're selling you too you need a relationship with people this is yeah. what it's about it's still a relationship people business always and it's, yes. that's first you know yeah it was funny I had a I had an interview the other day um and it, it feeds to that where I just so happy it was for a development project to do a pilot for a show for mm -hmm. a streaming service and be the showrunner of it and uh I, I had my interview and it turns out the lead talent I know and I've mm -hmm. known a long time mm -hmm. and at my initial thought was like, oh, is this going to be good or bad? And how do I play this? You know, and I mentioned softly in the beginning that I knew the person. I was like, oh yeah, totally. And then later on, like the VP of the company was like, you know, do you think that that hinders the process? And I said, absolutely mm -hmm. not. Because mm -hmm. to me, especially if I'm going to be overseeing the presentation, mm -hmm. hopefully the series, mm -hmm. you have to think that lead cast member who the show's about, they have to have a relationship and trust with the showrunner. And mm -hmm. if there is not that, or if it already exists, they're mm -hmm. much they're they're much more likely to come to understand what I'm asking them and why I'm mm -hmm. asking them to do it, or asking my team to have them do it, mm -hmm. than like just a random stranger who might not be able to get who they are. 
So right, I, right. I do agree with you that the cultivating those relationships are very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. When it comes I agree. To yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, what, what else do you have going on? What's coming up for you? Well, like I said, I'm shooting a movie that actually will come out this year. We're shooting it and it's probably coming, it's coming out during Christmas for Hallmark awesome. called the Sugar Plum Twist. So I'm an executive producer on that. And um, I have like a, a lot of stuff that I'm developing right now and pitching. And I, um, I'm actually launching a course called Reality TV Decoded. It's called, well, the, the the platform is called Reality TV Decoded. The course that I'm doing is called Making Reality TV, where people get, can download and learn about how to develop pitch and package shows for television. And um, launching a new uh, entity, like a joint venture with another uh, producer, OG Singletary, and actually my former partner, Wanda Shelley, and a couple other producers were sort of joining like a pack um, for a company called Black Table, where we're going to all like just join forces and be making shows and pitching and selling shows and producing, doing production services. Um, it's going it's gonna to be a minority-owned business that Basically, it's sort of like we asked for a seat at the table, so we decided to join forces to make our own table, and that's why we're calling it Black Table. Awesome, that's great, and I fully mm-hmm. support that. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope to, I hope to be a part of that conversation. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. What about social media? Where can people follow you? Where can they keep up with you? Well, so I'm on TikTok too. <laughs> I know your TikTok game is on point because I'm, I have like two TikTok videos up and I swear to God, I am, everyone comes to me for the social media stuff. And Uh like, I, I follow TikTok and I watch a lot of people on TikTok and I'm actually developing shows around people I found on TikTok. But like, I am not, I'm real good with the gram, real good with Facebook, everything, Twitter, but like, there's just something about TikTok and who helps you with your videos. What'd you say? Who helps you with your videos? Sometimes Jacob helps me. Honestly, I've been learning to do it on my, a lot of it on my own. But, you know, I'll have Jacob or his friend Rebecca who calls me mom because uh, I need a camera person sometimes. So. Yes. But uh, on all most of my social media, I'm T Baker Simmons on Twitter, Facebook. I mean, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm T Baker Simmons, and then on the on the platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn, Tracy Baker Simmons. So, but basically, yeah, I'm on, uh, I'm on those main platforms, and you can always like jump on there and find like I do the TikToks, and then I put them on. They're also in my reels on my Instagram, but. I pay attention to my DMs. So if you DM me, not don't DM me on Twitter because I'll get to those a little later than yeah. anything. But if you DM me on Instagram or TikTok, I respond pretty quickly. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I certainly hope, excuse me, I certainly hope our forces get to come together again in the future. And um, oh, yes. For we sure, will uh, sure. we'll definitely be working together. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. And if you uh, if you want more episodes of What's Up Woody, you can check out whatsupwoody.com. Of course, follow us on Twitter at whatsupwoody1 and on the gram at what's underscore up Woody. 
Um, I thank you all for listening and uh, I look forward to uh, joining you guys on the next episode. Thanks again, Tracy. I appreciate you. Thank you, Woody. Appreciate you. All right. Take care. Have a blessed day. Uh Thanks everyone for listening. Bye-bye.